right. Thank you, praise team, and welcome to week 22 of COVID-19. Aren't you excited? But I got some good news. It's, uh, it's the year two, 2020 of the cross of Jesus Christ and the, red, the bodily resurrection of our Lord and Savior, and he's got it all under control. Amen? Amen. All right. You may be seated in the auditorium, and if you're watching by Facebook or if you're watching on YouTube, welcome to First Baptist Church of Coronado. We're certainly glad to have you here with us today. The communion today, so this is a very special time. I hope if you're watching at home, you were able to stop by and pick up the communion elements uh, and uh, have those for the end of the service where we can have communion together. I never thought I'd do communion by way of a, a camera with a television screen, but you got to be a little creative here. And we're kind of gathering, you know, kind of gathering uh, with you electronically. So we hope you're ready for that. If you are in the auditorium, you did not get your communion elements. They are on the back table. My wife also has some up here in the front. You be sure to get those. And next Sunday, uh, the, the miracle we're going to study is a really short miracle. That's the title, a really short miracle. But uh, disclaimer, just because it's a short miracle does not mean it's going to be a short message. So I want you <laughs> to be aware of that. So, uh, but uh, it'll be a, I think it'll be a good one. It'll be a good one for us to hear. Uh, be praying for our country. Be praying for national revival. Be praying that uh, this COVID-19 gets over with, goes away. Uh, it goes on vacation somewhere and forgets to come back. Be praying that our people do well. So far as I know, our people, First Baptist Church, I know our family, our personal family, everybody's healthy and as far as we know. And we thank God for that. We give him all honor, glory, and praise for that. If you know someone who needs to be prayed for, let us know specifically. We'll be glad to put them on our prayer list. <clears throat> and uh, members of First Baptist Church, be sure to remember uh, to, to be faithful to God with the tithes and offerings, either through the U.S. mail or uh, through uh, online giving either way. Just be sure to put him first. Now, if you need something, as always, say something. We're glad to help out any way that we can. Here's a bulletin article I would have written if we'd had a bulletin. I say that every week, but we don't have bulletins, so I'm going to read it to you, okay? It's how church members may be feeling, how church members may be feeling, and it's adapted. It's not totally original, part of it is, but it's adapted from Tom Rainier, who's a church consultant and writer and so on. Uh, so some ways that you might be affected. See if you identify with this, any of these. You may be weary. I get tired of all the restraints. I get tired of wearing the mask uh, when I do wear the mask. I get tired of, uh, of not being able to go and do some of the things that we like to do. Secondly, you may be confused. It's really hard to know what the truth is, isn't it? It's hard to know what, to, it seems like there's so much contradictory information coming from authorities who should know uh, how to protect yourself. You just don't know. Thirdly, you might be fearful. I hope you're not fearful. Perfect love casts out fear. Love that's accomplished does not fear. We're invulnerable. We're, we're absolutely immortal in God as long as we're in the center of his will. If it's, his time, if it's our time for him to take us on home, uh, who's going to kick about that? So uh, you, may, you don't need to be fearful. Four, you may feel like you've lost your church. I hope not. And I, I, I know there's a, the disconnect and those who have all kinds of uh, maybe uh, other physical limitations, conditions, and don't feel comfortable congregating. I understand that. And we're trying to 
uh, be careful with all of that. But you haven't lost your church. Your church is still here. And when this is over, this COVID stuff, uh, the church will still be here. Number five, you may be weary of the cultural wars going on. I am weary of the cultural wars going on. We've gone PC to the over the edge and over the, I mean, it's just out of control. Uh, you may be number six, stressed because it's an election season. <laughs> As if it's not bad enough, it's an election year. So <laughs> get ready for all the crazy TV commercials that are going to be coming up. And uh, number seven, you may see too much negativity on social media. Well, the only way you can see too much negativity on social media is if you're on social media. And if you are, you see too much. Number eight, you probably miss gathering with your friends at church. And I will guarantee you that's the case here. We miss it. Uh, and one of the things that is so great about First Baptist Church is at the end of the service, you can't run people off. They just hang around. You know, nobody's running for the door like, free at last, free at last. It's over. I can get out of here. People love to stand around and visit, and, and we miss that very, very much. Number nine, you may have lost your outward focus, and we've got to be careful on that. We may so focus on our own little problems and unique situations and adjustments we need to make that we, we forget there's a lost world out there dying and going to hell that need Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Number 10, you may lament that your regular patterns and routines have been disrupted. I am a routine guy. Anybody else here do things by routine, schedules, routines? I'm like, ah, you know, it's got to be, you know, it's got to be done a certain way. Now, my, my wife's really good at, at helping me adjust by not always conforming to my routines. And uh, so that's, that's okay. Do any of the above describe you? Some of it we can avoid. Cut back on your social media exposure. If, that's, if, if you're tense and upset and responding on the keyboard and emoting all over social media, cut back on that. Be sure to tune into your church online each Sunday morning. Be in the Word of God every single day. That's part of my routine. One well, of the first things I do is I'm on in the Word of God, reading through the entire Bible every week. And David, I was looking at your material. It's really good. We're going to talk about... Um, going through the entire New Testament in 90 days, is it? Do I have that right? As long as it takes. Okay. All right. Well, anywho, uh, we're going to be starting uh, Bible studies here. We'll, we'll talk to you more about that a little bit. But every morning, I mean, every year, my, it's my endeavor to read through the entire Word of God ever since 1974 when I was challenged to do that. And I just love it. I absolutely love it. It amazes me still every time that how current, how relevant every Bible reading is that I didn't plan out. Somebody else did, but it like, this is what, I, this is what I'm talking about this week, or that's what I just preached on last week, or that's what I, we're going through right now. Get in the Word of God every day. Talk to God often, not just once a day, not just twice a day. Don't put a limit. Go ahead. I mean, if the, if the Muslims can pray seven times a day, uh, you and I ought to be able to pray more than seven times a day. Talk with God often. Plan family events. Do things with, with one another in your household. Get some exercise. Been riding my bicycle. That hurts. <laughs> Been riding my bicycle. Spend some time in the sun and fresh air every day. It'll do something to your, your psyche. It'll help you, and it's good for you physically. Stay balanced in all areas of your life. Don't get out of balance, okay? Stay balanced. Let God's perfect love cast out fear. Trust in God, not politicians, not pundits. Figure out ways to meet the needs of others, okay? 
design new routines for the present time. You know, if you're a routine girl or guy, like I, then, then go ahead and design some new routines taking into account the, the limitations that we have today. Even when the pandemic is over, we may have to construct new routines. We may not be able to return to the old ones. I hope that's not the case, but just being um, frank here. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not break. In everything, trust God and obey his commandments. One way or the other, this too shall pass. And when we meet, can meet together again, listen closely. You at home, listen closely. When we can meet together again, give thanks and exercise that privilege faithfully. Amen. You know what? You haven't been able, some of you haven't been able to be in church since the middle of, of March. When we can meet together again, then I want you to come. I want you to come embracing each other, embracing the, the opportunity to get together to worship. God is good all the time. Amen? Amen? All right. So thank you so much for watching and listening and being with us. Now let's have a word of prayer and invite the guest of honor, who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to be in this service. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for keeping us healthy in our family, for keeping us healthy in our church family, so far as we know. We're so grateful and thankful, Father, for the, the Spirit of God, the love of God that casts out all fear. We're so grateful for the opportunity and privilege of singing praises to your name. Thank you for our praise team. Thank you for the ones who work with our computers and our cameras to make the online services possible. And Father, today, may our lips and mouths give praise, honor, and glory to the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. We thank you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you stand as we worship the Lord with a couple more songs?
And this is the day we get to be in the Lord's house. If you're happy for that, say amen. 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 All right, you may be seated. Thank you, praise team, for leading us in worship again today. Uh, everybody turn your Bibles to the New Testament book of Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, and while you're going there, boys and girls at home, I really, really, really miss this part where 23, 24, 25 kids come up here and gather all around me, and I get to teach you for just a few moments. But in this minute message today, I'm going to have to rely on the fact that you're there at home, you're looking on your computer, you're on your iPad, you're on your iPhone or some other device, and we're going to have just a minute, just you and, and, and me in the whole world might be. What would it be? Tell me what it is. Disneyland? Did somebody say Disneyland? Huh? Yeah, I bet kids like Disneyland a whole lot. Uh, I, 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 that might be fun, but there might be some other places. Some of you might like Yosemite National Park. Is that a beautiful place to be or what? Go camping there. Some of you might like the Grand Canyon. It's amazing there. Some of you might like to go to Florida. I have no idea why, but maybe you'd like to go to Florida. Some of you maybe would love to visit the rainforest sometime and see all the beautiful plants and animals there in the rainforest, or maybe you want to go to the glaciers, or maybe you just love going down by the beach, and we have the privilege of looking out at the Pacific Ocean almost any time we want to. It's incredible. And maybe you like a lake and get a little boat and go on the lake, or maybe a river somewhere you enjoy. Miss Pat and I, boys and girls, have a favorite vacation spot in the whole wide world. Our favorite vacation spot is Hawaii. Hawaii. We love it there. And I wonder if you've ever been there. It's kind of like what I think the Garden of Eden must have been like because everything, though everything is not perfect in Hawaii, everything was perfect in the Garden of Eden. But because, you remember we talked about it last week, because Adam and Eve sinned, because they broke God's law, you remember what happened? They had to leave the most perfect place in the world, couldn't live there anymore. And you know what else happened? When they got out into the other places where God told them they could live, all of a sudden some of the animals were not as friendly as they used to be. They weren't as much fun as they used to be. They were kind of scary. They had big teeth, Arr! and they were mean, and, and snakes would strike people and, and, and so on. And the ground began to produce thorns and weeds instead of this plush garden in Eden with produced beautiful flowers and plants and things to eat. It, it was weeds and, 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 and thorns and things like that. And there were, began to be some floods and droughts and, and those kinds of things, and I believe I believe this is when mosquitoes first appeared, too, was, was in, and when they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. But some other things happened, too, that were even worse, and that is, is there were more and more people, and as they lived longer and longer, things began to get worse and worse. There were terrible storms and diseases and wars, and that was after the big flood, Noah's flood. You remember that? And, and all of these things happened, boys and girls, and all of the problems we have in the world today happen because we, they disobeyed God and because we disobeyed God. Now, it doesn't mean if something awful happens to you personally that you're the worst anymore. Because we've chosen to sin, we have the consequences of sin all around us. But guess what? Jesus is going to change that someday, boys and girls. He's going to change it completely, and everything's going to be perfect Again, more perfect than ever, in fact. So here's what I need you to do, boys and girls. I need you to believe in Jesus. 
I need you to trust in Jesus. I need you to obey Jesus because God will bless you one day and you'll be glad that you did those things forever and ever and ever. Amen. All right, boys and girls, God bless you. Moms and dads, in Mark chapter 5, the gospel according to Mark last week, I spoke about, about a man who waited 38 years, almost a whole generation, to be healed. Today, we're going to explore a healing that took place after only 12 years. <laughs> Does that sound crazy? Uh, how, I mean, can you imagine being very sick, really dramatically sick, for 12 long years? But that is a much shorter period than 38 years, and so um, it still, it was an illness that, that this lady had to contend with for a long, long time. In this miracle, the miracle was only a touch away. That's the title of it, but there's a second title, and that's a miracle within a miracle, because Mark 5, if you follow it uh, all the way through to the end, and then read Matthew 9 and Luke 8, where the, where the similar story is told, the same story is told, you'll find out that there's a miracle within a miracle. Let's, let's look at it this morning. The ruler of the synagogue, first of all, Jesus went with him, <clears throat> the Bible says, went with who? Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue whose daughter was very ill to the point of death. And all the people followed and crowded around him. They, this means literally they pressed him on all sides. They, 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 almost, they choked. Their, this, this crowd was choking off this, this, this roadway. They were stifling him. Uh, and, and in the middle of this, Jairus was a dad, and his daughter was sick unto death, and Jesus was going to go with him to his house to help heal the daughter, to help do something for the daughter. Now, can you imagine how Jairus felt about that? Uh, they're going down. He's elated. He's excited. Uh, he's a ruler of the synagogue. He's a man, a religious man. He's a man of faith here, evidently, because he believed Jesus could do something. And so they're going down the road when all of a sudden uh, it takes a, a turn here that he didn't expect because there was a woman in the crowd who suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. Now, I always thought it was interesting that Jairus' daughter was 12 years old, and this lady had suffered her ailment for 12 years. We'll see more about that in a little bit. There was a certain woman, the Bible says, in the crowd, and, and King James says, a certain woman. <clears throat> no name is given. We don't have any idea what her name is. We do know that she was very ill for a very long time. In verse 12, and over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them. <clears throat> the treatments for her particular ailment were often terrible and painful and, and ineffective. And she had gone to doctor after doctor after doctor, hoping that someone would be able to heal her, hoping that someone would be able to give her some relief from this terrible uh, disease that she had. But the Bible says, and she had spent everything she had, she had spent all of her resources, but she had gotten no better. Uh, she had tried the good doctors and the bad doctors, she had, and they'd all come to the end of themselves, to the end of their own abilities. And ladies and gentlemen, sometimes we have to come to the end of our own abilities. We have to come to the end of our own resources before we seek God. Why is that? Why do, we, why do we have to come to the end of ourselves? Why don't we seek Him early and seek Him often? Why don't we turn to Him first instead of last? But here's this woman. She had done everything she could. Doctors had done everything she could. She, didn't, she wasn't any better. In fact, she had gotten worse. Look at her philosophy. When she had heard about Jesus, now literally, uh, it means here, when she heard, when she heard that there was someone who could do something, someone who could heal people, someone who was supernatural in their abilities, someone who people couldn't explain how he did it, but he did some amazing things, 
she came up behind him. She, she was in the back of the crowd, and she began to inch her way up. Have you ever been in a crowd of people who you've tried to get to the front, maybe to see something better or to, to be with someone who's already in that crowd? Now, my daughter, Misty, sent us a picture this morning of in 19, I think it was 1984, when the, when the Olympic torch uh, came through San Diego, and it came down to uh, within about two blocks of where we lived at the time uh, on Hollister Street in uh, 92154 area code. And so we were all on, on the corner there, and, and people were bunched up, and uh, you know, you'd, try to, you'd go park somewhere and try to come up and get in your crowd. Well, this lady came up from behind when she heard that there was someone who could do something for her, perhaps, that no one else could do. She came up through the crowd and touched his robe. Now, folks, this was a no-no. This was something she was not supposed to do because under the Mosaic law, a touch from her to anyone would defile whomever she touched. Perhaps perhaps she knew this wasn't going to be the case now or maybe she didn't care or maybe she just didn't understand or maybe she was so desperate for healing that she was willing to take that chance and that risk. For she thought to herself, verse 28, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. You know what that's called? I'm not supposed to touch anybody. I'm in this crowd. She's touching all kinds of people, probably bumping into them, jostling up against them. <clears throat> but she works her way up to the crowd. She finally gets within an arm's length of, of this miracle worker she had heard about, and she reached out and she touched him because she said in her mind, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. And the Word there, the Greek word for heal is sozo, which means safe. I'll be safe. I'll be delivered. It's used in physical healing, and it's used in spiritual healing, or in other words, salvation. This shows an abundance of faith. If I can just touch him, just touch him, I'm going to be sozo. I'm going to be safe. I'm going to be delivered. I'm going to be saved. I'm going to be healed. Notice she wasn't crying out to him like some did, come and touch me, crying out, come on, can you help me? She didn't say a word. She wasn't looking for him to touch her or her to touch his person. She didn't touch his person. She touched the hem of his garment, just wanted to make contact with his garment. And she had in her mind, and this is powerful, folks, she had in her mind, if I can just touch his clothing, I'll be healed. She spoke these words to herself. Let me ask you a question you don't have to answer out loud because it will be embarrassing for some of you. Do you talk to yourself? I already know the answer. You absolutely do. Yeah, and I answer myself too, Chris. Don't I? Yes, I do. Yeah, I know you do. I know. Just keep pre preaching. Don't get sidetracked here. <clears throat> you, we're constantly rehearsing things in our brains, talking about things. Sometimes it's when something happened and we wished it happened differently and we rehearse in our brains how, what happened and, and, and wish, how we wish we had responded or how we, what we wish we had done doesn't change what happened, but maybe it preps us for the next time something like that happens. And we talk to ourselves. What words do you say to yourself? Because what words you say to yourself are important. Very important. If I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. 
affirmations, some people call them. What affirmations do you do? What things do you affirm and repeat? She could have been saying with her, within herself, I have hurt for so long, nothing has worked. There's, it's no use. She could have said, I'm going to give up. She could have said, there's no point in going any, any. And maybe she says, you know what? It's too late for me. I'm never going to have uh, a marriage. I'm never going to have a husband. I'm never going to have children. <clears throat> we don't know that's the case. I'm just supposing here. But, but she certainly had lost her health. She certainly had lost all of her physical assets uh, the, in the way of money and so on. And, and she had no cure. She was not cured. She could have been walking around meditating on, because that's what it is, meditating on the past failures and the hurts and the problems, and, and all that's doing is reinforcing the negativity in her brain, and it's not helping her get any more, any better. It's, it's making her worse. So what we bombard our brain cells with makes a difference. She could have been hopeless and bitter. She could have been content with self-pity. But She had faith, and she told herself, if I can just touch his clothing, I'm going to be well for the first time in 12 years. Verse 29, after she touched his clothes, immediately, straight away, Mark often says in his gospel, straight away, immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. She had been healed of her symptoms, but more than that, she had been healed of the cause for her symptoms. We all have our afflictions, don't we? Some of them physical, some of them otherwise. And, and there are the symptoms that we deal with, but there's a cause. <clears throat> so, okay. So, you know, the older you get, the slower your metabolism is. My metabolism at this point in my life is actually backing up. <clears throat> it doesn't go forward. It backs up. And so, so I decide, you know, I, every once in a while I get to say, okay, I'm going to work on this. I'm going to really work on this. And so, um, so about two years, two years and seven months ago now, I started walking, and I started walking what, like uh, five or six miles a day? Something like that. Start walk. I thought, you know what? I can't run. It hurts too much. I'm just going to walk for five or six miles. Well, then I, my Achilles tendon started messing up. So I'm, I'm hobbling around in my Achilles tendon. So I, I go to my doctor, and I hobble into the office, and they hobble out, and I go to a specialist and hobble in. And I said, yeah. I said, he said, what's going on? I told him. Uh, I said, I've been walking uh, five or six miles, and my Achilles tendon's messed up, and I, I, I don't know what to do with it. He says, yeah, that happens. Happens to me, too. What do you do about it? Nothing. You just have to let it get well. Thanks a lot, Doc. Here's your 25 bucks. Uh, my copay. I'm out of here. And so I hopped her, but then it went into plantar fasciitis. <laughs> so for the next year and <laughs> seven months, I didn't even bother going to the specialist because I know what he'd say. Yeah, it happens to me too. I've had the same problem. Uh, and, and so anytime you, it seems to me like you try to do something to, to fix whatever is going on, you deal with the symptoms, and so then you start taking pain pill or something to try to deal with it, but it just deals with the symptoms. It doesn't fix the problem. And in spiritual matters, we need to treat not only the symptoms, we need to treat the problem, because if you treat the problem, the symptoms are taken care of. 
But you know what? A lot of it starts right up here, folks. We talk about the heart. It starts right up here. What are we telling ourselves? What are we putting in to our brain? That's why it's important to be in the Word of God every day. So now we see, number four, we see the Savior. Jesus was the last hope. We already talked about that. His reputation had preceded him. Hey, hey, did you hear? Did you hear about someone named Jesus of Nazareth? You know what? He's going around healing people from all kinds of illnesses. I wonder if he could help you. We don't know what her name is. I wonder if he could help you. You think? I think maybe he could. I think if I could just touch his clothing, I could be healed. He's such a powerful individual. He's such, such an incredible supernatural guy. And, and so uh, Jesus was the last hope. His reputation had preceded him. And, and he who knows all, after she touched him, he who knows everything asks a question. Jesus realized at once that healing power, dunamis, the achieving power, Dunamis had gone out from him, so he turned around in this crowd. I don't know how many people were there. Let's say 15 or 20 or 25 or 30 or 40 or 50. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But he turned around in this crowd that were jostling against one another and said, Who touched my robe? What? How does he know? If someone touches your shoulder, you maybe know. Somebody bops you on the side of the head, you know. Somebody touches your, like, if you touch straight there, I, I wouldn't even know it. If I didn't see you, who touched my robe? And besides that, he knew who touched her robe, his robe because he was the son of God. He knew everything. Verse 31, his disciples, they're kind of like rolling their eyes. Jesus, look at the crowd pressing around you. How, how could you ask who touched your robe or who touched me? Now, in, in Luke's parallel account of this, <clears throat> We find some words we don't find here. It says, when everyone denied that they had done it. <laughs> so it looked, it, everyone denied. It's kind of like having kids. Okay, who broke this face? Not me, not me, not me. If one of the kids did it, they all denied. People were saying, not me. And the, the multitude had, remember, they were thronging him. They were pressing in all around. They jostled against him. And all of it was involuntary, just kind of walking down the road, brushing up against people. They were all carried along with one, but one and only one, a certain person, touched him with conscious, voluntary, dependent touch of faith. I'm going to say that line again. With a conscious Conscious, voluntary, dependent touch of faith. Lots of people might have touched up against him, but none of them drew virtue out of him. None of them had the dunamis of God displayed, but she, because she had faith and said, if I but touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. A conscious act, a voluntary act, a dependent touch of faith, reaching forth her hand, she had contact with him. And this is the touch. And only this touch that Jesus is trying to figure out who did it or saying he's trying to figure it out. I think he knows. Augustine long ago said multitudes still come similarly close to Christ in the means of grace, but all to no purpose being only sucked into the crowd. Now, I had to read that a couple of times to understand what he's saying, so I'm going to read it again. Multitudes still come similarly close to Christ in the means of grace, but all to no purpose, being only sucked into the crowd. You know, you know what that means to me? A lot of people come close to the gospel but don't receive it. 
A lot of people claim to be Christian, but they're not. A lot of people go to church, but they're not, they don't receive what the grace that God really has. A lot of people get, make professions of faith, maybe even, or, or perhaps get baptized or join a church, and, and, and yet they, they just they got sucked in with the crowd. They drew in because other people were doing it, and for whatever reason, and maybe their, their, their reason was they thought was good, but they didn't really partake of the grace that God has available for them. The voluntary living contact of faith is like an electric conductor that draws virtue out of them. It's like, it's like touching a piece of copper wire to, a, to another wire that's live and, and, and it instantly shoots down that strand of copper. <clears throat> Verse 32 says, but he kept on looking around. <clears throat> he kept on looking around. Who? Who touched me? He's looking, looking. Not me, not me, not me, not me. Not to condemn, not to judge, but to elicit a testimony from the one who touched him and drew dunamis power out of him. Then, and only then, the Bible says in verse 33, the frightened woman, trembling at the realization, the perception of what had happened to her, when she realized it wasn't hidden in the King James Version, came and fell to her knees in front of him. She came now in front of him. She was horrified at having to be exposed publicly. She She was nervous about it. A woman confronting the teacher was not done in this society. A a woman who was unclean coming before the rabbi was not done, was not supposed to be done. She was not supposed to be in the crowd. And she told him after she came falling to her knees in front of him, trembling, what had been done. Now her faith couples with confession. With the heart we believe unto righteousness. With a mouth confession is made unto salvation. We believe in our heart and confession is made. And so she did this in front of the crowd. Remember she had snuck up behind the crowd? She came to him behind the crowd. But now she's in front of the crowd. And her confession brought Jesus' affirmation. And it gave her assurance. He didn't condemn her. Let me stop just a minute. I made made reference to this just a minute ago, but her condition, her physical ailment caused her to be an outcast in the same order as a leper. Same thing under Mosaic law. She was barred from from access to the temple of the congregation, kind of like COVID, keeping people from God's house. Better is one day in the house of the Lord than, than thousands elsewhere. I love coming here. Absolutely love it. I'll I, I tell you what. Um, you know, I was telling somebody, it's like, my, you know, how things are going so fast. It's like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. I wouldn't care if it's Sunday, 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 Sunday. I enjoy being in the house of God. <clears throat> she was barred from access to the temple because of her disease. She couldn't come into the congregation because of her disease. Human help had not benefited her one little bit. In fact, it made her worse in every way imaginable. And when she came to him and when she told him what had happened, I touched you and, 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 you, and, and I'm healed as a result of that, he said to her, the only time he uses this word in the Gospels, daughter, daughter. A term of endearment, not used anywhere else 
by him in the gospel. He said, daughter, be of good comfort. Luke says that. Now, now you know what? You know what that literally means? Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be peaceful. Be happy. Be comforted. Complete health, in other words, was hers. Now, what must have seemed for a little bit like a stolen blessing, because I've snuck up on him, I've touched him, nobody knows, I'm going to go home now, I'm going to be well. What seemed like kind of a, a, a stolen blessing was now certified and stamped as legal and approved by the Lord God Almighty. It's kind of like someone's stamp paid on your bill. It's done. It's taken care of. Your suffering is over, he said. And, and literally, in the Greek, I'm told, it, that means you will remain healed. Not just a temporary thing. You're not going to just be well for a half hour. You're not going to just be well for a day or two or a week or two. You are going to be remain healed from this ailment. So it was her faith, not the actual touching of the garment, that caused her healing. It was her faith that if I just do this, I'll be well. She asked for so little from him. She didn't ask for anything from him, actually. And she would have been content to slip away unnoticed. But instead, it became a miracle within a miracle. Let's look for a moment on the touch. Did she touch him on the head? Huh? No? Did she touch him on the shoulder? Did she touch him in the back? She touched him on the hem of his garment the lowest part of his garment, and she was healed. No one else noticed it, but Jesus noticed it, Jesus noticed it and Jesus noticed this unnamed lady. A nobody touched Jesus to become a somebody who testified to everybody. You may think you're a nobody. You may think you're nothing. Jesus knows your name. He knows the number of hairs on your head, which is not too difficult for some of us. More difficult for others? Yes, I am. <laughs> I absolutely am. <laughs> uh, nobody touched Jesus to become a somebody who testified to everybody. Now, the results of this, Jesus said, daughter, we talked about that. The only time he's used it, be comforted, bold, courageous, a good cheer. The one person nobody knows became the center of attention in this whole crowd of people. Because he who cares for the sparrows of the field, he who cares for the, the wildflowers, we think of the lilies of the field, boy, that must be beautiful. These are wildflowers, the kind that grow, they just spring up. You see them in the desert out here in the spring, they're beautiful. Nobody plants those. They just spring up. They're gorgeous. He takes care of those. And God takes care of his own children. He knows every single thing about you. One day, a census worker was asked the lady in the deep south, what's the number of your children? The lady replied, oh, they don't have numbers. They have names. Yeah. And with God, we're not numbers. We're names. I got a social security number. To Uncle Sam, I'm nine digits. I, no, ten digits, I guess. No, nine digits. I'm some number. With God, I'm somebody. I'm his son. I'm his child. He knows we are his children by virtue of the new birth. That's why we call it being born again. Born the first time physical, you have physical parents. You've been born the second time spiritually, you have a spiritual heavenly father. And until you get born again, you're not his child, you're his creation. 
Say, well, aren't I his child because he created me? No, he created the skunks and tadpoles too, but they're not his children either. So you become a son or daughter of God by the new birth. Now, number seven, the tragedy. What tragedy? What tragedy? What tragedy? Here's the tragedy. There were so many other people in that crowd who needed to reach out and touch Jesus. Now, maybe they didn't have physical ailments. Maybe they did. I, I, I know many of you here. I know some of you watching by way of online, Facebook, or YouTube. But I'll tell you what. I know one thing about you. We all have needs. I certainly do. And when we come to God's house or when we tune in uh, online and we hear a message from the Word of God, we ought not leave the same way we came. This woman didn't leave the same way she came to Jesus. She came to Jesus diseased and sick and at the end of a rope and without any resources and had, had, had no promise of anything. She, and she left being of good cheer and being healed, not only of her symptoms, but of the cause of her illness. And, and a transformed woman, born again, child of Almighty God, daughter of God. Don't be the one who comes to church and endures it and leaves the same way you came. Let God change your heart, your mind, your life. I mean change. If anyone is in Christ, what does the Bible say? They are a what kind of creature? A new, an entirely new creation. You may look the same on the outside, but if you've been born again, you are different on the inside. The Holy Spirit, we talk about being in the courts of God and being in the, in the house of God. Your body becomes the temple of Almighty God. And His Holy Spirit indwells you. And He begins to teach you and, and begins to form Christ in you. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what He does. Let God, don't resist Him. Let Him change your heart, your mind, your life. So we come to the conclusion, you're saying, finally, oh, thank the Lord, we're coming to the conclusion. The woman was healed, but that's not all. Because the, the, the member, there's an alternate title to this, a miracle within a miracle. Uh-oh, look at verse 35. We return to the reason for Jesus having traveled down this road. Jairus' daughter is near death. While he, Jesus, was still speaking to her, the woman that was healed, messengers arrived from the, house, from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter is dead. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I don't know of any news that would be any more devastating than to hear that you've lost your child. And for those of you, and, and you're not alone, too many have. I, I told you once before, here at least once before, that my grandmother who lived to be, I think, 86 years of age, and she had seen things. She'd gone literally from no electricity um, and, and no running water in the home, and no, I always love to tell teenagers, no bathroom in the home, and they're like, what? What's that all about? Uh, she went from all that to watching someone walk on the face of the moon. And I said, what, what has impressed you most, most about life? And I expected something about some of the modern conveniences. You know what she told me? I never expected to outlive some of my children because she was preceded by, I think, three of her children. I can't imagine what that's like. Only God can fill that void. Only God can give you a peace. I, I, I don't have the words to say, but they told him, 
Jairus, don't bother the, the Jesus anymore. Your, your daughter's dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them, and the Bible indicates that he, uh, he ignored them, and he said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith. Don't doubt. And this is a command. Don't doubt. This is the imperative. Don't doubt. In other words, the imperative, you don't doubt. Billy, don't you doubt. David, don't you doubt. Jesus encouraged the father so that his grief would not be overwhelming. Perhaps Jairus had already begun to wonder if this delay with this woman who had been ill had cost his daughter's life. I don't know. But in verse 37, Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So Peter, James, and John, that's his inner circle. Those were the ones who went with him. These are the ones who, who, who did things like uh, they were at the, at the transfiguration when other crowds were not there. They were there in the agony of the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus, before he was arrested, uh, they were the closest inner circle. And verse 38, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion, weeping, and wailing. You know what they would do in, in Jewish culture? I don't know if they still do or not, but they would hire professional mourners. So when there was a funeral, they would hire professional mourners whose job it was, was to come and wail and weep and carry on and, and all of that. And they had already begun that process. And so Jesus went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. Now here Jesus may be using a metaphor, as Paul does in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, and, or as Jesus later does when he talks about Lazarus, his friend who had been dead for four days. But verse 40 says the crowd laughed at him with scorn and contempt. They weren't laughing jovially. They were scorning, and, and they were full of contempt for him. But he made them all leave. This implies he forced them out. You know, people sometimes see Jesus as a, as a real effeminate character. I, I used to have a a picture that I like that I hung a likeness, you know, something I, as a boy, imagined Jesus might look like. But it wasn't one of those with rosy cheeks and, and, and you know, long flowing hair and just red lips. It wasn't that. Jesus drove the money changers out of the temple, folks, and there were temple guards there. And Jesus forced the crowd out of this home, and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying, holding her hand, as he did with Peter's mother-in-law in Mark chapter 1. He said to her, Talitha kumai, which is Aramaic for young girl or young lady, stand up. Get up. Little girl, get up. Verse 42, and the girl who was 12 years old, coincidentally, immediately stood up and walked around, and they were overwhelmed and totally amazed. You know what this meant? Literally, it means they were, the, their parents were out of their minds beside themselves. I guess so. They were overjoyed. And then Jesus gave them strict orders. He strongly commanded them not to tell anyone what had happened, and then he told them to give her something to eat. I'm going to talk about that in, in just a moment. But I've always been fascinated with the fact that the little girl was 12 years of age, and the woman had been ill for 12 years. And I always wondered if there's something about that, and here's what I found out. The way the stories are told here, a miracle within a miracle, emphasizes the similarities between the woman with the disease and Jairus' daughter, and the differences between the woman and Jairus himself. 
And here's the similarities. Both the woman and Jairus' daughter are female. Both of them are nameless in the narrative. We know Jairus, his name meant he enlightens or he awakens. The bleeding woman had been dying as long as the young girl had been alive, 12 years. Both of them are addressed as daughters, although it was clear that the girl's father was Jairus, and Jesus calls the woman daughter, so she's not alone after all. Both women were ritually impure. When Jesus encountered them according to the Torah, the Jewish law, in Leviticus chapter 15, the woman was unclean, and of course all corpses were unclean, Numbers chapter 19, and anyone who came in contact with them would be also unclean. A living person who was unclean was ineligible to participate in the worship of God until a certain specified amount of time had lapsed and they'd offered sacrifices and cleansing rituals had been performed. So it was appropriate for Jairus to ask Jesus to touch his daughter, to heal his daughter as long as she was alive. But when she died, then he would have been rendered unclean by taking the dead girl by the hand and by the woman's touch. So uh, exactly the reverse is what takes place, though. He doesn't become unclean. They become clean. They become alive. The woman becomes pure, the dead child restored to life. Impurity is not transmitted to Jesus, but rather life is, and purity is transmitted to the women. You know what? That reminds me of a song, Jesus can make the vilest sinner, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner pure. I think that's how it goes. Yes, I know. Yes, I know. Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. You know what? The vilest sinner. Do you know murderers can get saved? Do you know prostitutes can get saved? Do you know adulterers can get saved? Do you know homosexuals can get saved? Do you know thieves and robbers can get saved? Extortionists can get saved? Do you know? In fact, unless you're a sinner of some kind, you don't even need to be saved. But, of course, we're all sinners. Now, we see the woman and Jairus. Both the Jairus and the woman are portrayed positively, demonstrating confidence in Jesus' healing power. That's obvious, but there are differences. Jairus is a ruler and a leader in the synagogue. He is up there. He is, he's worshiping. He's at the temple. He's doing his religious and social duties. He has a right, a right to ask. He, he is in right relationship with the God of the Old Testament and so on. But rather than flaunting his social and religious status, he humbles himself. In verses 22 and 23, an attitude that Jesus praises in chapter 9 and 10, humility. By way of contrast, the woman has been, as we mentioned, a social outcast, a religious outcast for 12 years. She hadn't had a human embrace she hadn't had the, the joy of, of singing praises to God with other believers. She had no right to be brushing up against people casually in, in, in a setting like she was in, in the crowd. But she does what she can, and she refuses to let her life be defined by what appeared to be a hopeless situation. Now, one last thing, and, and then I am done. One last thing. Because that last verse drives my wife crazy because she asks me about it. And I always, I always look up the answer, and then I tell her what the answer is. Next time she asks me about it, I forget again. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anybody what had happened. 
He told the parents of this little 12-year-old girl, don't tell anybody. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. They had already started the funeral. How is this even possible? How are they going to not explain she's walking around and eating a bologna sandwich? Okay, maybe it was sliced turkey. I don't know. She was eating. The funeral had already begun. The crowd knew the girl was dead. When Jesus said she's not dead, she's just asleep, they laughed him to scorn. They ridiculed him. They made fun of him. What he's saying here is not, don't tell anybody that she's alive now and she was dead. He's not saying that. What, he, what he's really saying is that, that healing the sick, raising the dead is not all I'm about. Don't tell everybody I'm just a miracle worker, a healer. Let them know there's something more than that. The ultimate healing is salvation. Whether you're famous or infamous, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're popular or not, whether you're poor or despised, it doesn't matter. Jesus was not Israel's magic wand. And you and I better not treat him like a magic wand. Uh, well, I think I've got this real problem now. I better go talk to the Lord about it. Why don't you talk to the Lord when you don't have a problem? Why don't you thank him when you don't have a problem? I, every single day, I think every day, more than once, every day for 22 weeks, I've said, thank you, Lord, for keeping us healthy from the COVID-19 as far as I know. As far as I know, I don't have it. As far as I know, she doesn't have it. He's not some kind of magic potion. He's not a trinket. He's not a puppet on a string that we manipulate when we want something from him. He was, is, and always will be the almighty son of God. Do you know him? Are you his daughter? Or his son? And if not, you can be today. If you're at home watching online, would you bow your heads? If you're in the auditorium here, would you bow your heads just for a moment? I don't want anyone to go any further today without knowing that they can be saved, that Jesus can heal them of all their spiritual maladies, all of their all of their sins. He can, he can heal of physical things too. He doesn't always do it. doesn't always choose to. Not every young girl that died in, in Israel was brought back to life. Not every woman who was ill was made whole. He can, but he doesn't always do that. But he is always Lord no matter what. And if you're not certain that you have your faith and trust in him, then I want you right now to pray and to seek him and, to, and to, as it were, reach out and touch him with prayer. And here's how you do it. You pray something like this. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. All of sin to come short of the glory of God. I know I'm going to die one day because the wages of sin is death. But also know the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so, Lord, I thank you for dying on that cross and being buried and staying in the grave for three days and three nights. I thank you that on the third day you came forth again and that you're alive forevermore. And I believe you when you say, if we'll confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus 
and believe in our heart that God has raised you from the dead, that we can be saved. And that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Doesn't matter whether we're the most wicked sinner in the world or we're the humanly best person there is in the world. We're all sinners. And whosoever will can come to you. Now, if you're not sure, folks, that you've done that, then I want you to pray this prayer. Dear God, please forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Indwell me. Be my God. Be my Savior. Help me to live for you, I pray, in Jesus' name. With every head still bowed. If you just prayed that prayer, even if you're at home, if you just prayed that prayer, every head bowed, but you just now put your faith and trust in Christ, would you raise your hand up and hold it up for just a moment? God bless you, folks. Father, we're thankful for what you've done for us. And Lord, as we get ready for this communion service now, we know that the, the whole of the communion supper is just one of thanking you for your broken body and your shed blood that secured our everlasting salvation. So Father, bless us. Help each one of us examine our own hearts right now. Help each one of us to confess before you any sins that we need to confess. May we be cleansed. If we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and we thank you for that. And so we ask your blessing on these elements, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your communion elements, if you would take those and very carefully separate the unleavened bread from the juice portion. If you need elements, raise your hand in the auditorium and we'll get those to you. They were eating the Passover, <clears throat> Passover feast, and there were several items of food, different items of food on the table, but our Lord chose two specific types. The first one was bread that was unleavened. It spoke back to the time when Israel was saved from slavery in Egypt, when they fled without having time to put the yeast in the dough and to have the bread rise. It was unleavened. And leaven in the Word of God is a type of sin that as the leaven permeates the dough, so sin permeates the world. And that's why we're all contaminated by sin. And as they were eating, the Bible says Jesus took the bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take eat, this is my body. Father, we thank you for the body of our Savior and that he was willing to have it broken for us, undeserving as we are. Thank you, Lord, for giving yourself for us. In Jesus' name, amen. When he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the New Testament, the new and better covenant, which ratifies the agreement and is being poured out for many as a substitutionary atonement for the forgiveness of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom.
And so the juice, the fruit of the vine, became an emblem and a type of the blood of Christ that was shed freely on the cross. Not spilled, poured out for our redemption. Father, we thank you for the precious blood of Jesus Christ who washes us from all sin. Thank you, Lord, for giving of yourself freely and for dying on the cross for our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. What we've done in the past when we have communion here is we join hands. I'm going to ask you to stand but not join hands because of COVID-19 and to keep our social distancing. But let's stand together. And praise team is going to lead us in a verse of thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. God richly bless you. Next week, a very short miracle. Not a very short sermon. A very short miracle. God bless you. Thank you for being here. At 11.30, we're going to have a wedding. So at 11.30, if you're in the auditorium, be seated. Uh, If not, exit the building. Uh, But uh, thank you for being here today. God bless you.